Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Thank you for standing by. This is the conference operator. Welcome to the Rogers Communications, Inc. first quarter 2020 results conference call. As a reminder, all participants are in listen-only mode and the conference is being recorded. Following the presentation, there will be an opportunity to ask questions. To join the question queue, you may press star then one on your telephone keypad. Should you need assistance during the conference call, you may signal an operator by pressing star and zero. I would now like to turn the conference over to Paul Carpino, Vice President of Investor Relations with Rogers Communications. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you, Ariel. Uh, good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Today I'm here with our President and Chief Executive Officer, Jonah Talley, and our Chief Financial Officer, Tony Staffieri. Uh, today's discussion will include estimates and other forward-looking information from which our actual results could differ. Please review the cautionary language in today's earnings report and in our 2019 annual report regarding the various factors, assumptions, and risks that could cause our actual results to differ. With that, let me turn it over to Joe. Thank you, Paul, and good morning, everyone. I hope all of you and your families are safe during this unprecedented time. Our country is in the midst of an incredibly challenging moment in our nation's history where our collective actions and responses are needed to make a difference. It's amazing to think that for the first time in our lives, the phrase, what can I do to help, is now relevant and applicable to all 37 million Canadians. We all have a role to play, and that includes the telecom industry, which has stepped up to the challenges of the new demands in our lives imposed by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our networks provide the foundation for the way we are living today, how we stay in touch, work, learn, stay informed and entertained. And our efforts at Rogers are going beyond our business to new community partnerships to help provide extra help to those who are most vulnerable in this crisis. We are committed to supporting our customers and Canadians through these challenging times, now and into the future. Despite a meaningful slowdown in business in March, our overall wireless and cable financial results were in line with our expectations going into the quarter. Although media felt the pressure associated with the cancellation of, of all live professional sports. But Tony will take you through some details momentarily, but let me give you a broader perspective on how we look at the business during this period. In this environment, near-term monthly and quarterly results are not a reflection of our company's underlying fundamentals. Our financial strength, the quality of our assets, the soundness of our strategy and long-term growth prospects, or the effectiveness of our daily execution. Results in this environment, businesses and Canadians doing what is essential now for the long-term needs of society. People are adjusting their day-to-day -day behaviors to protect their fellow Canadians and the brave frontline healthcare workers who need our support during this crisis. 
to us, there's nothing more important, and everyone at Rogers is, is completely focused on this. As you know, we are a financially strong company with a long-term focus. We don't run our business on a strictly quarterly basis under normal circumstances, let alone during extreme exogenous events like the one we're dealing with right now. Nations, businesses, and people around the world are tackling this challenge together, and we know the current environment will pass. In the meantime, our energy and resources are focused on protecting our employees and customers and ensuring Canadians remain connected. As you saw in the first quarter, we closed about 90% of our retail stores. The remaining open locations are providing essential services. While this affected our near-term business, we believe it's highly inappropriate in this environment to be offering or responding to aggressive promotions that drive foot traffic into stores that put employees and customers at risk. Let me take a moment to thank our frontline teams that are working hard to deliver essential services to our customers. We are extremely proud and incredibly grateful for what you are doing every day. While we won't be providing specific financial guidance during the short-term period of volatility, you can rest assured that we will be managing the business as responsibly and as efficiently as possible, just as we have consistently demonstrated in the past. While there will be additional pressure in the coming months as Canadians work together to defeat COVID-19, Rogers is a financially strong company. We provide services that matter more than ever before in people's lives. We will navigate through this effectively. We are a trusted brand and we have a leadership role to play in Canada. We have total liquidity, total liquidity of $3.8 billion and you can expect strong free cash flow to continue this year. Canadians should feel confident that our world-class networks will be there for them. Analysts and investors should also continue to feel confident in our company. We will remain disciplined stewards of capital and continue to manage the company thoughtfully for the long term as we help our country navigate through the current environment. Let me spend a few moments shedding some light on how we are operating to protect our teams, customers, and communities, and to ensure Canadians remain connected. As I said, I'm so proud of our teams and how our organization is adapting to new ways of doing business. Our networks have helped power our nation for 60 years, supporting people, communities, and businesses. We're working hard to ensure new network usage needs are being met. Throughout the day, home internet usage on average is up over 50%, and our teams have been working hard to manage capacity to meet these rapidly changing needs. Meeting the new needs of customers has required us to quickly evolve the way we do business. Our teams have stepped up to meet the challenge by coming up with new and innovative ways to serve our customers. About 10% of our retail locations remain open to provide urgent customer support for our wireless services, including support for those providing essential services and for our healthcare heroes who are managing the impossible to keep us safe. We've also adapted our recently launched Pro on the Go service so customers in the GTA and the greater Vancouver area can still get a new device delivered and set up within hours using contactless delivery and one-on-one -on -one support through the phone or video chat. 
We will be expanding this to other markets shortly. In cable, we've launched a series of no-contact self-installation programs so customers can activate TV, Internet, and home phone safely from inside their homes. Our technicians communicate directly with them for guided support through video chat without entering the customer's home. In terms of customer care, we've undergone a major transition with great success. We've rapidly deployed thousands of work-from-home technology kits to team members over the past month to enable our customer care agents, virtually all of whom are based in Canada, to serve our customers. Customers can still call us, service levels are strong, and our agents can safely answer those calls while working remotely from home. In February, we had 800 care agents answering customer calls from home. We are now nearing 7,000 at-home care agents this week. At first glance, this task seemed insurmountable, but our team's drive and collaboration was second to none. In our media business, Sportsnet operations were materially upended as every live professional sports league shut down in a matter of days. As we wait for the return of live sports, our teams have been creative in experimenting with unique formats across TV and digital platforms featuring beloved historical games. Our media teams are doing what it takes to ensure quality news and information continues to pour into homes across the country. Teams are broadcasting from their basements and living rooms because they know Canadians are counting on us to bring trusted sources of news and insight to them every day. Our engineering and field technicians are also frontline heroes. They're out there working to support healthcare providers, running fiber in parking lots and fields to create new COVID testing sites, bringing more Wi-Fi to hospitals so patients can stay connected with families. We've implemented premium pay for our colleagues who provide these critical and customer-facing roles with the public, and we thank them for their dedication, for their service. But there's a bigger purpose for corporations and individuals in this environment. It requires doing as much as we can to support our customers and our communities at large. We are not immune to the short-term pressures, but we can certainly respond by providing extra support to the best of our abilities. Our customers have chosen us as their communications provider, and we take that responsibility very seriously. Here are some of the measures we brought in through the end of June as part of our Forward Together program. We've lifted data usage caps for home internet plans so customers don't have to worry about overage charges. We're waiving Canadian long-distance voice calling fees for homes and small businesses so customers can check in on loved ones and keep in touch with customers without worrying about extra charges. We're offering a free rotating selection of channels to keep viewers and families entertained with additional hours at home. We've added more flexible payment options and a commitment that customers will remain connected to the service so nobody has to worry about losing their digital lifeline. And through our commitment to waive Roam Like Home, Fido Roam, and pay-per-use roaming fees from March 16th to April 30th in more than 180 countries, we helped more than 150,000 Canadians stay connected at no additional cost while they made their way home from abroad. 
Beyond these customer initiatives, the Rogers team is committed to helping the most vulnerable in our communities that are hit the hardest. <clears throat> Last week, we announced that we're working with the government of Ontario, local school boards in the province, and Apple to offer iPads with wireless data at no cost to help students in need who don't have the tools for online learning. In addition to this, and many local efforts in communities across the country, we've launched three national partnerships with community organizations to help deal with additional crises brought on by COVID-19. We partnered with Food Banks Canada to donate over 1 million meals and are leveraging the power of our radio and TV assets to reach over 30 million people every week in an awareness campaign to help fill the shelves with food. Our customers and employees have opened up their hearts and their wallets and raised funds for an additional half a million meals. We're providing smartphones in collaboration with Samsung and offering six months of free wireless service to Big Brothers Big Sisters Canada so vulnerable young people, the littles, can stay connected to their mentors and their schoolwork. And with domestic violence on the rise, we've partnered with Women's Shelters of Canada to help make devices and plans available and help raise awareness of sheltersafe.ca services available through ads all across our digital and social platforms. I couldn't be prouder of our team. To a person, each has accepted their leadership role and is committed to just doing the right thing. We are all part of Canada's national fabric that makes our country thrive in good times and survive through times of crisis. And now, like never before, we all appreciate the importance of staying connected. Canadians across the country and governments have recognized that telecommunications is an essential service. We serve as the lifeline that binds our nation together. We take our responsibilities seriously and are proud to be working closer than ever with our government partners to support Canadians through this challenging moment. And that won't change. Our networks power the business and the services that are getting Canadians through these difficult times. When we come through the other side, we will still be there for Canadians. Our shareholders and all of our stakeholders can rely on our resilient networks and our leadership in supporting the inevitable economic recovery. During this crisis and moving forward, our disciplined and balanced approach to capital allocation remains unchanged. Our priority continues to be investing in technology and capabilities that will ensure Canadians remain leaders in the global digital economy over the long term. And as we have demonstrated in the past, we will also focus on returning healthy levels of capital to shareholders over the long term through dividends and stock repurchases. Our track record with this balanced model has proven to be effective for both our business and for shareholders alike. We want our customers and all Canadians to know our entire Rogers team over 25,000 across the country. Our board, the Rogers family, stands shoulder to shoulder with Canadians and Canadian businesses to get through this together and come out stronger together. Let me now turn the call over to Tony. Uh, Tony, will you please provide your comments and some more detail on the quarter? Thank you. 
Thank you, Joe, and good morning, everyone. Our first quarter results captured the initial stages of the COVID pandemic issues that we experienced as a company. And as a result, in and of themselves are not reflective in the usual sense of the run rate of our business. In fact, the impacts were only experienced in the last several weeks of the quarter, and we've, we've learned a lot more in the three weeks following our quarter end. As a result, my comments will provide more color on the first quarter results with a view to how they were impacted specifically in the final month of the quarter. And then I'll expand these comments to include some context on trends we are seeing post quarter end. Before I do get into some of those details, however, I wanted to take a moment to thank our entire Rogers team for continuing to deliver and doing the right thing for our customers and for each other. While these are difficult times, the attitude of our entire workforce has been inspirational. I also wanna give a big thank you to our entire finance team who achieved a major milestone in closing our Q1 books, all remotely from home this quarter. Even more impressive, they did it in the same time frame they would have completed this task if they were all at the office. Out of necessity, we're all learning creative and innovative ways of working and collaborating to get things done. And as you heard in Joe's remarks, we are seeing this across all lines of our business and these learnings will make our organization stronger and more productive going forward and will no doubt help shape our operating models going forward. Our operating cadence has changed quickly during this pandemic with widespread store closures, the shifting of thousands of team members to work from home and assisting customers in new ways with their most urgent needs we pivoted our operational priorities far beyond traditional operations and sales growth metrics. Our overriding priority was to ensure our customers were being served and our employees were being kept safe. This was a time to ensure we just did the right thing. And so with that guiding framework and with the inability to know how the issues relating to the pandemic would unfold, we shifted our overriding financial barometer in this environment to cash flow and balance sheet liquidity. While we entered this crisis with a solid balance sheet, cash flow and liquidity position, as a result of our prior capital allocation decisions, we wanted to ensure we remain prudent and prepared on this front so that we could maintain flexibility in our business for whatever comes next. In short, we remain financially strong and are here to meet the needs of Canadians and our customers. We currently sit with $3.8 billion of available liquidity, the highest in the company's history. We recently strengthened our position with a successful debt issuance of seven-year funds at an effective yield of 3.7%. And we ended the quarter with a debt leverage ratio at a comfortable 2.7 times. We see our leverage position continuing in the range of two and a half to three times for the next few years. And we believe this is sound and reasonable given the spectrum options on the horizon and the continuing downward pressure on interest rates. We ended Q1 with free cash flow of 462 million, up 14% year over year. In terms of our first quarter results, I'd summarize the COVID impacts to our financials and our business as falling into a few key themes. In wireless, our revenues were impacted by the rapid decline in roaming activity and related revenue drop, as well as the impacts of some customer supportive initiatives, such as free long distance calling. 
As well, subscriber activity substantially slowed in wireless with much fewer new customer activations, but conversely, churn dropping dramatically. This lower volume translated to material reductions in handset investments, thereby adding to our overall wireless net cash flow growth. Our business revenues were much more stable stable and continue to see strong internet performance as speed and reliability became essential in a work from home environment. The impacts of growing unemployment rates did not surface in the quarter in terms of planned downgrades, but I'll have more comments on this factor in a few moments. We have moved our cable operations to 100% self-install and this cash savings will show more materially in future quarters, again, assisting in maintaining cash flow stability overall for our cable business. Our media business saw the most immediate impacts of the pandemic in our Q1 results as sporting events were suspended. These declines were offset to a limited extent by suspended content rights costs and player salaries. Our capital expenditure programs only slightly declined in the final few weeks of March as a result of lower volumes and slowed ability to get work done. Our results in Q2 will see more material impacts from these items, but we remain confident in our financial strength and ability to efficiently manage the business during this transitional COVID pandemic period. Along with the immediate health issues relating to the pandemic and the more direct and immediate impacts to our financials, we're also paying close attention to the direction of macroeconomic indices and their potential impact to us and the industry. In particular, with elevating unemployment levels, we anticipate bad debt costs could increase in the second half of the year. In addition, we are seeing the early signs of customers looking to downsize their packages with us in both wireless and cable as they right-size their spend to their new cash flow realities. We expect this volume will pick up depending on the depth and duration of the economic downturn and will ultimately impact recurring ARPUs and revenue. All of these items, as well as others that may arise, are difficult to estimate at this time. And as a result, we are withdrawing our annual guidance that was originally provided in in January. Turning now to some specific numbers in Q1. In wireless, service revenue declined 2% year on year. The slight increase in year over year decline and compared to Q4 was specifically as a result of COVID impacts experienced in the month of March. As expected, revenue continued to be impacted by the reduction in overage revenue associated with the transition to our infinite unlimited plans. We saw about a $40 million reduction in year-over-year overage revenue in the first quarter and currently have over 1.6 million customers on these unlimited plans. During March, we saw a sharp decline in roaming volumes, both inbound and outbound, as international travel significantly scaled down. As well, we also offered free roaming and free long distance to ensure Canadians could stay connected at a time when speaking with family, friends, and customers was never more important. Revenue from these programs was approximately 15% lower than the same period last year and amounted to $14 million in the quarter. Excluding these specifically identifiable COVID impacts, our wireless service revenue would have otherwise declined 0.8% year-over-year, the same as Q4. 
The COVID pandemic also caused the subscriber market to essentially halt during most of March, an otherwise high volume month in the quarter. Postpaid gross, <coughs> gross additions were down a notable 13% for the quarter and down more dramatically in the final weeks of March. Shopping malls were closed and we shut down over 90% of our retail stores for all but emergency services, as this was essential to protect our employees and customers. In this environment, we chose not to engage in pricing incentives that would encourage customer traffic to stores or stimulate loading. We just did the right thing and did not match many promotional activities that occurred in the last month of the quarter. Conversely, churn dropped dramatically in the month of March. We posted 0.93% churn for the quarter, but again, churn was even lower in the last few weeks of the quarter. As a result of the market essentially being frozen with no or very limited growth in March, we posted net postpaid subscriber losses of 6,000. This was an abnormal result and due solely to the COVID-related decision to substantially wind down competitive offer activities in the final weeks of the quarter. We don't view any subscriber metric during this period as being meaningful to any long-term franchise value of our wireless business. Notwithstanding the softness in revenue, wireless EBITDA still grew 1% this quarter, up from negative 3% in Q4 once normalized for the lease accounting impact. This was primarily driven by lower call center volumes, lower handset subsidies, ongoing efficiencies from our transition to unlimited plans, and some naturally lower expenses associated with the overall business environment. On the handset subsidy front, you saw that we eliminated all subsidy plans from our offerings, moving to a full installment plan financing model early in the quarter. Prior to COVID, we saw notable improvements in the amount of handset discounting being offered. Combined with the drastic reduction of handset volumes in March, our total net handset costs on a cash basis was down 19%, or about $90 million year over year. Let me now turn to cable. Before getting into the financial specifics, I wanna spend a moment to highlight two additional KPI metrics we are providing to replace some metrics that have become much less relevant in how we manage the business. We have removed the revenue split by cable product and introduced metrics at the household level. The number of customer relationships added in the quarter, household penetration rates, and household cable ARPA, or average revenue per account. This change aligns our reporting to how our team manages the business. Our focus in cable is to maximize the penetration of all homes and businesses passed, as well as the revenue and margin per household. For competitive reasons, we won't be disclosing the margin per household. We have eliminated the reporting of revenues by product as the allocations have increasingly become more arbitrary as we focus on multi-product households at bundled prices and as technologies amongst our products migrate to all IP-based offerings. These new metrics will also give more meaningful information going forward in terms of network penetration and monetization of our connectivity at the household level. Cable revenue was approximately flat compared to Q1 last year, while adjusted EBITDA grew by 2%. While these are solid results in the current environment, our cable business also felt some COVID-related impacts in Q1. Similar to offering support programs to help our wireless customers, we're also helping our inter internet customers with cap data plans by eliminating data 
overage charges and providing access to certain free premium video content to TV customers. This impacted revenues by less than 0.5% in the quarter. In Q1, we reported 17,000 internet subscriber net additions, 3,000 more than the first quarter last year, and internet penetration increased 90 basis points. Ignite TV has also performed solidly in this challenging environment, adding adding 91,000 subscribers to reach a base of 417,000, more than four and a half times higher than one year ago. In addition, we reported 2,000 new customer relationships in the quarter with ARPA of $129, slightly below last year, and our penetration now sits at 55.8% of homes passed. EBITDA margins were 47%, up 100 basis points year-on-year, and cable capex intensity declined further to 25.8%. As Joe noted, we launched self-installs in Internet and Ignite TV in March, which should help both of these metrics going forward. In media, the COVID pandemic had a more dominant impact on revenue, but less so on EBITDA. Revenue was 12% lower year-on-year. This was driven by lower advertising revenue associated with the suspension of live TV broadcasting for all sports, the postponement of Blue Jays games in late March, and the sale of our publishing business in 2019. Despite the large decline in media revenue, EBITDA was down only 1% due primarily to not incurring the significant broadcasting rights costs for NHL and NBA live programming, lower Blue Jays salaries, and a one-time impact relating to player salaries in the prior year's first quarter. Moving to consolidated results, total service revenue was down 3% and adjusted EBITDA was flat. We invested $593 million in CapEx for the quarter, which was a year-over-year decrease of 4% and reflected a CI ratio of 17.4%. The decrease in capital expenditures was largely driven by the continued improvements in cable CapEx efficiency and by the initial stages of slowed CapEx spending as a result of COVID. We expect CapEx for the year to come in well below the guidance range we previously provided. It is too early to provide more specific guidance at this point, but we will continue to focus our CapEx spend on network coverage and capacity. We generated free cash flow of $462 million this quarter, an increase of 14%. The notable increase this quarter was a result of lower capital spending and lower cash tax payments. Our Our cash tax rate as a percentage of adjusted EBITDA was 7% in the quarter and should be in that same range for 2020. As I've already noted, even with the current pressures associated with the impact of COVID, we expect strong free cash flow to continue. Additionally, our balance sheet is well-structured with long-term maturities and low interest rates on our outstanding debt. Our our weighted average interest rate at quarter end was 4.24%, with average term to maturity of 13.5 years. In terms of an outlook, we've withdrawn guidance because it's too difficult in the short term to predict the various combination of factors that could impact our financials. However, here is a snapshot of how we are trending on some key forecast variables. In wireless, ARPU will continue to be impacted by declines in roaming revenue. In the last 30 days, roaming volume has declined 80%, and this will translate to a loss of roaming revenue, 
of $80 million in Q2. Although our pacing of migrations to our infinite unlimited plans has slowed recently, we will continue to experience the overage year-on-year declines from previous migrations. This is expected to be approximately $50 million in Q2. We are seeing increasing numbers of customers looking to downgrade their wireless price plans, and this will have a downward pressure on ARPU as early as Q2. As you would expect, we do not anticipate the subscriber market to reactivate in any material way until the public is allowed to safely return to malls and our stores. While the market was previously growing at approximately 4% on an annual basis, this lack of subscriber growth rate will impact our revenue growth. As a result, postpaid nets will continue to be down on a year-on-year basis and churn will continue to decline. Conversely, handset cash expenditures will continue to come down meaningfully in this environment. Last year, we spent $2 billion on handsets. In Q1, handset expenditures were down 25% and down 60% in the last few weeks of March on a year-on-year basis. This will yield material cash savings that has already started. In both our cable and wireless businesses, we have given customers the opportunity to extend bill payment terms if needed. While our receivables metrics have not yet been impacted by these extended terms, we do anticipate that cash collections on AR may start to slow in Q2. We're starting to see early increases in number of calls relating to bill payment and bill payments and expect this will increase as unemployment rises and persists and business customers continue to be impacted. This will likely show up in rising bad debt costs in the back half of the year, but again, difficult to predict the quantum at this early stage. We continue to see positive demand for our internet offerings, particularly as in-home bandwidth and reliability takes precedence in a work-from-home environment. In this business, we are seeing subtle improvements in internet ARPUs and household ARPA. However, this is being offset by an increasing level of calls to our agents as some customers look to reduce their monthly bills, similar to what we see in wireless. On balance, we see household ARPA being negatively impacted as early as Q2. Notably, in moving 100% self-install on our internet and TV products, we are seeing significant improvements in OPEX and CAPEX-related installation and upgrade costs. Our current assisted self-installation approach reduces our costs by 30% compared to traditional technician-enabled installations. And this savings will get higher as we move to full self-install models at a later time. Capital intensity for our cable business continued its steady downward trajectory to 26% in Q1. This was largely the result of our targeted efforts to drive more efficiency in cable capex. However, reduced volumes and self-installation, together with delays on certain projects, will drive this lower in Q2 and for the rest of the year. Our media business will likely continue to incur losses in the near term, as the startup of live sporting events continues to be delayed. While reduced content costs offset some of the revenue loss, certain of the fixed costs will cause us to be EBITDA negative for a period of time. To summarize, While we expect the revenue impacts in our industry to be much milder than other industries and do anticipate offsetting costs and cash flow savings naturally arising, we will see shorter-term pressure on our financial results during this period. As I stated at the top, 
Overall cash flow and liquidity is strong and will be our focus during these times. While we don't foresee major issues on that front, we will continue to ensure we are prepared for the various scenarios that may unfold. We do not see any reason to cut or reduce our dividend. We continue to have a low payout ratio as a percentage of foreseeable cash flow, so no action is needed at this time. On balance, we're pleased with our results and how the company is operating in this environment. Our culture at Rogers is about doing the right thing. We're proud of the corporate social responsibility actions we've taken to support our customers, keep our nation operating digitally, and protecting the safety of our employees and customers. We entered this crisis from a position of strength, and you can count on us to maintain our disciplined financial stewardship as we help Canadians navigate through this period. Let me now turn the call back to the operator to commence with our Q&A. Thank you. We will now begin the question and answer session. To join the question queue, you may press star, then one on your telephone keypad. You will hear a tone acknowledging your request. If you are using a speakerphone, please pick up your handset before pressing any keys. To withdraw your question, please press star, then two. To join the question queue, please press star, then one now. Our first question comes from Vince Valentine of TD Securities. Thanks very much, guys, and congrats for all the hard work you're doing to uh, help your employees and society through this. Um, a couple of questions on costs. The $90 million reduction in your cash costs for equipment subsidies in Q1 Tony, can you talk to us a little bit about how much of that translated into an EBITDA benefit and under IFRS 15 with the more significant reductions in Q2? Will, will we see like a quarter of that or 40% of that benefit EBITDA in, in 2020 or does it really get stretched out over two years? Thanks for the question, Vince. It's, um, it's a combination of both factor, factors actually. So. You know, we saw $90 million in Q1, as you said. Um, the volumes of handsets that we see today are, you know, running uh, 50 to 60% lower year on year. Um, you're going to see two, two aspects. Um, some of it will flow through right away under IFRS accounting as we allocate you know, some of the total contract revenues to hardware revenue. You'll see some of that in better margins in Q2. You saw some of that in Q1. Expect to see um, slightly more in Q2. So of the handsets um, that are being sold and offered, um, there's much less of a discount uh, than you would have seen previously. And so that's you know a continuation of trend that we saw in January, February, and comes together with installment financing. And that piece of it seems to be um, going well. The second piece of it will be seen over 24 months of the contract term. And so that one's a, a lot harder to predict, but all of that to say is between those two items, uh, the number will will uh, be higher in Q2. Okay, thanks. And just a couple other quick uh, cost ones. I'll leave. I'll throw them both out there. One, I'm not quite sure I understand your Blue Jays salaries comment. Is that just saying that you had planned to have lower salaries this year versus last year, and that showed up, or are you saying that the players are actually not being paid? when the games aren't happening. And then the last one, can you just confirm, there was no bad debt allowance in Q1. You're not taking any reserves for trying to predict what bad debts might be at this time. It's it's going to wait until the second half. And that's it for me. Thanks. 
Okay, on both of those, Vince, uh, in terms of um, Blue Jays player salary costs, uh, that's correct. Uh, the players aren't played if there aren't games, except for a very small amount that are put in the category as immaterial. Um, and so those are um, costs that are suspended, if you will, until games are, are actually played. Uh, the second piece of your question, we did not uh, increase our bad debt allowance in Q1 um, as we go through um, our typical processes of quarter end estimation. Um, we didn't see and continue to see, uh, you know, very limited um, defaults in collections. And so um, we are calling out a potential risk that uh, may arise in the second half. We think likely will arise as unemployment, um, you know, continues to rise and the period seems more extended than, than we might have originally thought. And so uh, you should expect to see that likely increasing in Q2. Thank you. Thanks, Vince. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Jeff Fenn of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. Hope uh, everyone is doing well on the call. Um, I have a question on um, the internet side and then a, a, maybe a post-pandemic question. Um, on the internet side, um, I guess one of the great things about Docs is, is that um, you've been able to expand your network very quickly to one gig service across your footprint. Um, wondering what you're seeing in the market today in terms of demand, um, I guess coupled that with your ability to self-install 100% now, are you seeing um, your service um, demand pick up as a result of you know, the ability to, to offer that one gig across your footprint uh, on a more consistent basis? Um, that's the first question on internet. The second question is just looking, trying to look beyond, um, I guess, the pandemic a little bit. Um, some of your revenue streams related to on the wireless side or even on the internet side related to overage and roaming are obviously all coming off. Do you think on a more, um, I guess, at a high level, um, that structure of pricing is something that um, will remain? Um, I guess I'm, re I'm asking because Rogers was obviously a leader in shifting everyone over to unlimited. Um, wondering if there's any opportunities or post pandemic to kind of wean yourself off of some of these um, kind of revenue streams. Thanks. Thanks, Jeff. Um, good questions. Um, let me, uh, let me start with internet. Uh, I look at the internet. Um, demand sort of in two ways. Let me first talk about the current demands and I'll talk about Doxis and the advantage. In terms of current demand, as I said, we're seeing, you know, when we first started uh, um, looking at network load right in early March or so, we saw uh, internet demand go up 20, 30% on average. In the last two weeks, uh, we've been sort of sitting, seeing a 60% year-on-year year increase in uh, internet demand uh, from customers in terms of households in general. And the network has fared very well. The team's done a very good job of, you know, adding capacity in the moment, whether it's, you know, reallocating some of the RF spectrum uh, in our DOCSIS network, whether it's looking at different ways of changing the payloads coming on the network, et cetera, done a really good job of tuning it, and, and it's performing very, very well. 
given the increased load. To put that in perspective, that's about two years of growth. That's, as I said, that's happened really in the last number of weeks. Um, in terms of ads, we're not out there promoting or stimulating in the market for all the reasons we talked about. Um, we're trying to find the time when it's both appropriate and worthwhile to try to simulate a demand. We don't think that's right now. Uh, but we are seeing unsolicited demand come through for people that are at home using their network uh, more than ever uh, for, you know, working at home. Like the, the, the top payloads right now are Netflix is number one, and then all forms of video conferencing are number two, uh, whether it's Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, WebEx, et cetera. And then number three would be sort of YouTube and general kind of social media uh, surfing that goes on. So that's created that sense of demand and the need for speed as families are home and kids are online has stimulated the market from that perspective. And we're seeing activity both in terms of customers wanting to upgrade uh, a speed tier, uh, but also customers that are for whatever reason unhappy with their current provider um, and looking to make a switch to our capability. As you said, rightfully, you know, we are operating uh, a one gigabit, one gigabit per second speed profile across our 4.4 million uh, homes and businesses, um, and therefore we have that flexibility to do that uh, and the capacity to do that, based on the work that's been done. And the the self serve ability really has made a difference. Um, we visit about 6,000 homes a day, and uh, virtually, you know, 100% of them now are such that we do whatever work might have to be done outside and then guide the customer through the installation inside. And it's working very well and customers are really happy for it. Um, in some extreme emergency cases, we do have people that on a volunteer basis that wear full protective gear and go into uh, locations where there is no choice but to go inside. It could be a nursing home, it could be uh, a shelter, it could be places like that. Um, but that is uh, uh, you know, the exception versus versus the rule. Um, I do think that, you know, uh, more than ever, there's an essential nature to um, uh, the home internet connection. We just did some customer insights work and uh, people's confidence in home internet and the importance now is roughly on par with drugstores and pharmacies in terms of how they look at home internet. And that's a remarkable lift from where it was even, you know, a few short months ago. Hope that helps to add color. Um, you recognize also that that most of our channel activity in cable uh, happens in the field as opposed to uh, in the stores. So the stores have more of an impact on the wireless business, less so in the cable business. Great, thank you, Jeff. Uh, next question, um, Ariel. Sorry, Joe. Go ahead. Well, there's other other part of the question. Sorry, Paul. Sort of post-pandemic. And uh, I think, Jeff, you had a question post-pandemic around some of the constructs around price plans and will they change. Um, you know, we decided last June that uh, some of the constructs in the business uh, were uh, were ripe for change. It was time to make the move towards unlimited. It was time to make the move towards, you know, um, uh, overage protection on FIDO. Uh, our views have not changed. And I do think as you know, uh, there are certain behaviors that are being set right now with consumers in general. Some of them will stick. 
Uh, and, you know, some of those behaviors are very positive, we believe, for the future of, of the industry from a productivity point of view um, and uh, from our relationship with stakeholders and government uh, as a whole. Um, and, you know, we're going to look at each one of these uh, on a case-by-case basis. I do think that, as we said last year, overage will continue to kind of diminish uh, until it becomes, um, you know, immaterial for that matter over the course of time as more and more people move to infinite. Um, we have uh, stepped back from stimulating the market in terms of promotional activity for all the reasons that we talked about. So, therefore, you've seen some of the infinite migration um uh, continue, but really slow in terms of pace as a whole. Um, I think the roaming constructs will remain intact uh, once people uh, feel comfortable again traveling. Uh, I think that the getting on an airplane and traveling will be one of the last steps in terms of resumption of the of the economy. Personally, I, I believe that's that's uh, one of the very last steps, and, and um, that's part of the furthest out in terms of resumption as a whole. Uh, but we're seeing good resiliency in the core subscriber business. Uh, any challenges we face will really be a reflection of the economy in terms of, you know, unemployment or business defaults. Thanks, Joe, for the color. Next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Drew McReynolds of RBC. Please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks very much. Uh, good morning. Two relatively high-level questions uh, for me. Uh, first, maybe for you, Tony, in terms of visibility, and, and not just kind of on the 2020 outlook, but more specifically in terms of getting back to a little bit more normal where uh, you, you shift gears from the pivot you rightfully did uh, to serve customers and 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 society back to um, you know back, back back to focusing on uh, KPIs. What, what do you have any sense when that visibility or, or what kind of milestones or things you'd be looking for at, at this point? Uh, uh, would they uh, come in Q2, Q3? Uh, maybe very high level. Just comment on what you're you're looking for on that front. And then secondly, maybe for you, Joe, on the 5G. Deployment roadmap. You've been uh, very active out of the gate here in 2020 on initiatives. Wondering how all of this, at this point, to your knowledge, uh, impacts uh, your 5G plans as you go forward here. Thank you. Okay, Drew. Why don't I start with the uh, uh, first part of your question? Um, as I said, we. Uh, focus on overriding cash flow because the short-term impacts are difficult. I think the two pieces we look to, uh, one is when will uh, people be able to be out and about, um, malls open up, um, and have confidence to uh, be out there shopping, et cetera. And so, you know, for a wireless business, um, that's going to be a key factor in terms of that market starting to resume. Um in terms of subscriber volumes and growth. Um, and then the second piece of it is as well, even on our cable business, um, that they're comfortable looking at alternatives and have time to consider, um, you know, best internet, best TV and things like that. And so we think that's going to be a while um, in terms of, you know, whenever that happens. But the second piece of it is equally important, which is, 
One of the macroeconomic factors like unemployment rates and our government's assistance programs, um, how long do those go for? How deep is it? Um, and those will have um, you know, an enduring impact for a while. Our business is a momentum business. And so even after those happen, it'll take a while for that momentum to start picking up again. And so we don't see it something that happens in the very short term, um, but rather it's going to take uh, many months and probably several quarters. But th that's what we look to as kind of the you know, key factors that will get the momentum in our business going again. Um, Drew, on the um, 5G question, um, you know, the last few weeks we've sat down and looked at all of our capital projects and initiatives that um, we had on the go or we were about to start. Um, we kind of categorized them uh, into sort of three buckets or three flavors, if you will. Uh, one was capital that is volume-oriented. Um, where volumes right now are changing. For example, you know, um, we think there'll be a bunch of new homes added to the footprint to our footprint in the very near term. These are subdivisions that we're just about to, you know, um, have people move into the homes. But housing starts have fallen off, and there will be, you know, um, a diminishment in terms of housing starts as a result. And we typically have been adding. 60 to 80,000 homes a year to our footprint. So there's volume-oriented things that we are adapting or shifting. Uh, number two uh, is um, initiatives where um, uh, there is or isn't permission. In other words, if we've worked very hard to get a building permit, uh, to put up a tower, to do something, um, and we can still do it, then we're doing it. Uh, if it's you know if we still require that permission given that a lot of building departments are closed, that a lot of road work uh, is not happening, et cetera, then, of course, that capital won't be spent. The third category, which gets to 5G, is what are the strategic priorities that still make sense to um, go after um, that we believe uh, is still um, um, possible to get it done efficiently, effectively, and that is still reasonably tied to the expectation of revenue or return. Last thing we want to do is put capital on the ground and have it lay fallow for a long time. Um, we think in the case of 5G, and we, we you know we we were first out of the gate, got a great partnership with Ericsson that's working very very well. Um, we launched uh, um, you know, four cities around 5G, and we have a plan to keep going for the rest of the year. Whether we do 20 or 15 or 10 cities. Is going to depend on the, the point around permission and keeping uh, our good or strong run rate going uh, with the, um, uh, the contractors and their ability to get the work done. But we do think uh, 5G is, is an important strategic plank for us as an organization. We do believe that it still has all the benefits that we've talked about in terms of um, uh, you know, efficiency in delivering uh, a bandwidth uh, and spectrum efficiency uh, in terms of enabling capabilities down the road. And therefore, we think it'll be uh, money well spent. We also do believe there may be a point in time where there are opportunities to do some of these projects on a better unit cost basis as different suppliers or organizations are looking to, you know, shore up the work for their businesses and therefore are willing to kind of, 
you know, make a better deal, for lack of a better word, uh, in deploying their technology or deploying their resources. So um, uh, 5G is important and a few other areas like that. We also look at this as an opportunity to do some things that um, we are already doing. Um, and given the fact there's a bunch of things we can't do uh, and that capital will not be spent, it will help support our cash and liquidity position that Tony talked about. But there are some smaller things around digital uh, evolution, et cetera, that we can double down on uh, through this period. Um, I mean, these are good choices to be able to make. Uh, as we said, yes, we'll feel the revenue and um, uh, resulting um, EBITDA pressure that we can manage through a series of ideas and initiatives. But we have the ability to kind of um, reprioritize the capital based on strategic value and, and permission. Thank you. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you. Thanks, Drew. Uh, next question, Ariel. Our next question comes from Tim Casey of BMO. Please go ahead. <clears throat> Thanks. Good morning. Um, one for Tony, one, or I guess two for Tony, probably. Um, Tony, can you help us um, understand what the baseline for bad debt expense would be and how, if you increase that, that'll work through um, reported EBITDA and, and also cash flow, just what the, the puts and takes there will be as you work it through. And then um, just a clarification, uh, the roaming impact you cited for the quarter um, for Q2, uh, is that all roam like home? And would that number be uh, a decent quarterly run rate? Um, you know, business travel may be down in the summer, but vacations are up, do they sort of offset? Or does that number uh, seasonally peak um, at other periods of the year? Thanks. Great, thanks for uh, thanks for the question, Tim. Yeah, in terms of putting uh, bad debt into context, we typically run uh, bad debt at about 3.8% of of revenue um, on a normalized basis. That translates to you know, about 130 million dollars a year for us, uh, a quarter a year, I should say. And so, you know, we kind of think about it as you know, if that number were to double. Um, you know, the magnitude we're talking about is 130. And so we have different models sort of depending on a number of factors, but, you know, we kind of see the bad debt. If we had to put, you know, fence posts uh, on it, we think somewhere between 50 to possibly uh, up to $250 million is kind of the outer post of it. And so, you know, while it's significant in the overall scheme of things, it's not, um, it's not drastic, and we do see it or sort of see it as you know a one-time item as opposed to something that will continue. But again, it's early days, and we're only seeing very small inklings of it um, even today. And so, we'll, it's something we're watching closely. And so, those numbers I gave you are really just to provide sort of the context around it. And while it's a risk, it's it's not an, an unmanageable risk. The second question you had was on. Sorry, Tim, go ahead. And that's directly on, on EBITDA, Tony? That, that flows directly through the income statement? That's correct. Okay, thanks. Um, <clears throat> the second question you had was, um, well, let me expand on that. I, I think, you know, the accounting for that separately in terms of whether it's an EBITDA or one-time item, 
know, we'll decide at the right time how we account for it, but it'll be transparent. But that's sort of the number that ultimately impacts cash flow, Tim. Um, yeah, the second, yeah, the second piece of it, uh, of your question related to roaming. Uh, let me give you a bit of context on that and color. You know, when we talk about roaming, it's both inbound and outbound roaming uh, that we see a reduction of. Our total uh, roaming revenue is, you know, slightly less than the total overage revenue we talked about uh, about a year ago. Um, so it run around on an annual basis, roughly 400 million. And so the $80 million that we talked about uh, for Q2, it is typically a seasonally higher period. And, you know, we see that coming down by um, $80 million or roughly 80% in Q2. That would include um, folks that pay under the per use Roam Like Home, or they may still not be on Roam Like Home and they just pay um, roaming charges um, at uh, on a per use basis. Uh, so that combines both numbers as well as, as I said, the inbound roaming volume that has come down. Thank you, Thanks, Tim. Uh, Ariel, we have time for uh, two more questions. Certainly. Our next question comes from Mariagi of Desjardins. Please go ahead. Yes, uh, thank you for taking my question. I wanted to ask you uh, on um, on your cable business related to SMBs and enterprise. Uh, we talked about uh, bad debt, etc. But uh, can you maybe talk a little bit about what you have seen so far in terms of uh, collection and uh, maybe a reduction in services related to enterprise customers in your cable business, knowing that it's not a big exposure for you, but still maybe it's interesting to know what's what's going on there. And uh, maybe a bigger picture type question uh, related to the spectrum auctions that are coming up. Uh, given all the uh, efforts you guys are doing to continue to support Canadians with their uh, demand for connectivity, um, but still facing a, quite a bit of pressure on the revenue and EBITDA. Would you say at this point would be a better thing to push out the spectrum auction that is coming up uh, late this year, early next year? And uh, just on the free cash flow, when you say you continue to expect strong free cash flow, is that uh, a qualitative assessment that it will be positive in terms of growth year on year? Is that what you're meaning by that? Um, thanks, Meyer. Um, why don't I take the uh, the first two questions on the VDB sector and spectrum auction, then Tony asked you to, to uh, frame up the free cash flow uh, for Meyer. Um, so on... Rogers for Business or Enterprise Business, um, you're 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 correct, Meyer, in that it is uh, a more smallish part of our business, relatively speaking. We're under-indexed uh, against our peers in that sector as a whole, uh, and in some cases, materially so. Uh, if you look at proportion uh, of revenue coming from that sector, um, right now, the most difficult part of um, the enterprise business is in Alberta, and there uh, it's a very small part of our business uh, in the enterprise sector. Uh, think of it as, um, you know, um, 
mid single digits uh, in terms of proportion of revenue and mostly uh, wireless in nature. Um, we are starting to see more phone calls coming from the business sector. I would say it's coming more from um, um, Main Street uh, stores, single operators who uh, you know can't open up their shop and therefore are suspending their services. And we've created some you know um, disconnect mechanisms so they can suspend but keep it active and alive so we don't actually lose the customer or or force a change in customer but we actually you know turn it back on again relatively easily when um, the economy begins to resume as a whole um, so we feel that you know we're in a good position on a relative basis with respect to exposure to the sector and that uh, given our mix based on SIC or industry codes if you want to look at it that way we've done an analysis based on you know which industries are most affected, least affected uh, in the short to medium term. Uh, and as you know, it's quite a, quite a range. We feel we also have um, um, a good mix that we can manage uh, our way through uh, overall. Uh, and I think it'd be remiss to say there, that there, there are also some areas of growth, albeit smaller, that we're seeing in the middle of this right now. Um, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity, uh, to the healthcare sector, uh, internet connectivity. Um, we've got a team that is just busy working day and night to add that capability. Um, and um, those, you know, those are often customers that are long tenured in nature. Once you get the first piece of business uh, on that front, um, and then of course, um, as we support government with uh, you know phone lines and bandwidth, given all the various programs that they're enacting. Uh, it's also uh, creating some opportunities for us to add to add uh, telecommunication network services to all all orders of government. Um, on the spectrum auction, um, you know we've been waiting um, uh, a while for this mid-band spectrum. It is uh, important to 5G, uh, as you've heard me say in the past. You know, 5G is a bit of a a three-pack of spectrum. We need the low-frequency 600 megahertz spectrum, where we did very well. We got 80% of the available spectrum in the market. We need the uh, mid-frequency spectrum um, that's coming up at the next auction. And, of course, the at some point, the millimeter wave. Um, so we would like to proceed um, uh, with this auction. Um, um, we think we know exactly what we need, and we think we have the uh, headroom to proceed with it. The fact of the matter is that even if the auction starts in December, um, uh, it won't finish until the new year. And, you know, it might be delayed. We don't know. We don't know if it'll be delayed or not. Um, and, um, you know, uh, then the question comes down to when are the auction uh, proceeds uh, payable? And, you know, right now, given the tone level cooperation discussions with government, there's some flexibility on, on some of that. Uh, stuff from a timing point of view. I'm not going to say that's going to happen, but I think there's some flexibility on some of these fronts as we've seen with other spectrum fees and trying to smooth out cash flow for uh, different sectors. But we'd like the auction to proceed. And I'll throw it to Tony uh, on the cash flow point, Tony, so you can help illuminate on that point. Yeah, a couple of uh, comments on free cash flow. I, I think I'd start kind of summarizing you know, the impacts to free cash flow, you know, I've talked about, we've talked about 
um, you know, the impacts we see in each of our business on the revenue side, and they will vary, you know, from cable probably being the least impacted to media having the most significant impact. And so, you know, we, and that part is difficult to predict. Um, some of the costs will naturally come down. It won't be one-to-one with respect to um, revenue, but on a business that generally has a 50 to 60% flow-through rate, you probably should expect to to see that on the other side. And um, and so there'll be an EBITDA impact as well. In the way we've defined free cash flow, you know, it's it's adjusted EBITDA less um, some of the big cash items, the largest one being CapEx. And, you know, based on the trending we're seeing, um, we expect CapEx to come materially down from uh, the original guidance range we provided. Uh, one, because of lower volumes on some things that get capitalized, like installation, the unit cost coming down, uh, but also the pacing of work. It's just a lot more uh, difficult to execute. Getting permits from cities and things like that um, is much more difficult, um, but also combined with our focus on what's more essential right now, uh, given the environment we're in. We're in. So you know, we expect um, CapEx to, uh, as I said, come down. So when you net those out on balance, um, you know, based on what we see now, there's probably a good probability that will deliver free cash flow, not materially off of the previous guidance that we provided. Um, but it, then again, there's still quite a few moving pieces, but you know, that's as far as we can see right now. We don't include working capital adjustments, and in particular, um, the various account movements related to lower handset volumes. And so that'll be an additional um, cash flow help, if you will, to the extent that that market um, continues to be stagnant or soft uh, on a year-on-year basis. And so that'll provide additional free cash flow depending on, on the definition uh, that you're, you're using. Hopefully that provides good context on how we're seeing it. Definitely does. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Mayor. And and can we take our last question, uh, Ariel, please? Certainly. Our final question comes from David Barden of Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Please go ahead. Uh, Thanks for uh, taking the question. It's Matthew uh, sitting in for uh, David. Just uh, two quick ones, if I could. Um, To start off with, just on wireless, um, you mentioned, if I understood correctly, that uh, you're seeing some uh, downgrade in the service packages that people have. And I was wondering if you were able uh, to kind of uh, put some color to that comment. Are you seeing that, do you think, mostly because people are at home um, and they're offloading to Wi-Fi? Or is this kind of the beginning signs of perhaps some uh, financial distress that that group of customers is facing? Um, And then the other thing that I wanted to ask is, um, obviously the self-install has been, you know, a positive and something that you were pursuing uh, even before uh, this pandemic kind of uh, changed everyone's uh, way of living. Um, I was wondering if, the acceleration of self-install has kind of changed your previous outlook um, for the kind of achieving uh, 25% uh, cash uh, margins in the cable business. Uh, I believe it was by the end of 2021 previously. If you think now of looking past this crisis that that might be accelerated or be able to achieve earlier, um, just your thoughts would be helpful. Thanks.
Uh, Matt, why don't I start um, with uh, a couple of those. Um, first off, I'll start with the second uh, question on self-install. You know, the acceleration of that has uh, and moving to 100% self-install is uh, quite promising in terms of the customer experience, but also in terms of uh, the cost reduction. Today, we're on a model that we would describe as assisted self-install, um, where the, the tech is close by um, and helps the customer inside. That model will evolve over time, uh, over the longer term, to something that is a, a complete self-install. And so um, it will uh, for sure help uh, OPEX a little bit, but materially it's going to help uh, CapEx on the cable CI side uh, in the longer term. In the near term, uh, I've talked about you know, the reduction being a 30% cost reduction, but the bigger factor is the lower volumes that we're seeing in the short term in terms of migrations um, to different tiers as well as um, uh, new activations in the market. So for a while, that's gonna be the bigger factor that's gonna reduce uh, cable CapEx, uh, but in the fullness of time, we expect that volume to come back. So all those factors combined, you know, could it lead to um, an earlier achievement of the 25% cable cash margins? It could, but I caution, you know, on the EBITDA side of it, um, while we see some good prospects for cost reductions, revenue may be pressured by some of the factors relating to downward tier migrations. And so the net of those is difficult to predict. Um, there's good prospect that we could achieve it earlier. All the ingredients seem to be there. Uh, but there's still quite a few variables that are difficult to predict. Um, and so don't want to call that out too soon. The first part of your question is whether or not, you know, in terms of some of the um, tier migrations that we're seeing on the wireless side, sort of what the root cause of those are. Um, as Joe said, when you look at actual usage, um, certainly on the home front, it's up uh, notably you know, 50 to 60%, 60% of some of the more recent stats over the last week or two uh, on a year-on-year basis. On the wireless side, we're seeing usage being somewhat flat to slightly down. And so I wouldn't think about it as something that is reducing materially the utility value of wireless. And so we don't see that as a likely cause of that migration. We think what we're starting to see is the very early signs of you know, potential uh, broader economic impacts. And again, I don't want to overstate it. Um, you know, the number of calls we're getting on this is extremely small. Uh, we're just being intuitive on it. And, you know, we know over the longer term and having seen cycles in this industry that higher unemployment and you know, difficulties in uh, the enterprise side and in particular on small businesses um, are going to lead to uh, downgrade uh, migrations. And so we're being sort of proactive on that front and calling out that potential risk. Hope that helps, Matt. It does. Thank you so much. The only thing I would add, Matt, is that, you know, fundamentally we, we are a barometer of the economy with respect to unemployment and, you know, uh, business losses. And that's the, the biggest thing that will drive that phenomena. I don't think we're getting some sort of, um, fundamental switching behavior. Um, we know that, that people are relying on both wireline and wireless services more than ever. Uh, and 
if you add them both together, it's still up dramatically year over year, uh, including voice services that have peaked to record highs. Great, thank you. Great, thank you, Matt. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us uh, today. We will be following up as uh, as needed. Uh, just a reminder that our annual general meeting is this morning as well. Uh, uh, you can listen to Joe's remarks uh, shortly after 11 a.m., and we will make those remarks available on our website as well. Uh, thanks for joining us, and uh, everyone stay safe as well. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may disconnect your lines. Thank you for participating, and have a pleasant day. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.